Hi, I'm Susie Larson. Here's the podcast from Middays with Susie Larson. Enjoy the conversation. It's only just a matter of... Welcome to Middays. I'm Susie Larson. Really honored to be doing this time with you. In fact, I look forward to meeting with you every single day to bring you conversations that hopefully inspire you in your faith walk, that deepen your understanding of God's Word, and that heighten your awareness of His presence in your life. Where can you go from His presence? He is with you always and forever. And you know, if you're in a season where God seems especially silent, do know that He's not distant. He is near. Well, we have got a great program for you today. My guest says that when it comes to our emotions, that we tend to believe a number of myths about them. For example, this is a myth. Did you know it? Maybe you've heard it. Your emotions will always lead you astray. Not true. That your emotions are not spiritual. Not true. And the big one, God is not emotional. Not true again. Experts say, in fact, that our emotions have gotten a bad rap, that our emotions serve a purpose, and they offer us really important information about what's going on beneath the surface. In fact, did you know that anger is a secondary emotion? Anger is a secondary emotion. Underneath anger, you'll usually find fear, hurt, or frustration. So if you're angry, next time you're angry, ask yourself, am I afraid? Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? So that's what we're talking about today, emotional health and growth and why it matters. Mark Allen Shelsky joins me to talk about his great book, The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose of Your Emotions. A couple quick announcements before we hear from Mark. Um, you've got to spend some time on our website if you haven't yet. It's fantastic. We've got blog posts, podcasts, all kinds of things there. But two things I want to draw your attention to today. Did you know you can sign up for free for a verse of the day to be delivered to your inbox who doesn't need that? Just a fresh word from God. And also on our website is something called Prayer Works. If you are walking through a difficult time and you need prayer, you sign in, you will appear anonymous, but you will get notifications because there are prayer missionaries who hop on that site and just pray one by one by one through that list, and you'll receive a notification every time someone prays. Isn't that beautiful? Hop on our site. You'll check it out at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. Let me tell you about my guest. We'll get him on the show. Mark Allen Shelsky is a writer, speaker, and what he calls a hobbyist theologian. I love that. title of his book that we're talking about today is The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the Power of Your God-Given Emotions. Dear Mark, welcome to the program. Hi, Susie. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you again. Yeah, so good to have you. As Mark and I were talking before the show. He joined me several times on Live the Promise, and he was one I thought, I got to get him on middays. So grateful to have you. And I'm putting you on the spot, but I think you'll be okay. I like to open up every conversation talking scripture. Forgot to warn you that I'm asking you about this, but do you either have a life verse or just a verse you've been hanging around these days that you can share with us? Uh, me and you, there's two that just are guiding and governing and shaping my thinking. You know, For a long time, my favorite verse has been Ephesians. Uh, 210. And uh, that, you know, that's the, that's that verse about God shaping us, that God is uh, shaping us like we're his craftsmanship, we're his poem, you know, and I love the idea. I'm an artist. And I know that when I create something, a little bit of myself goes into it. And I love the idea that God's been at work in our lives, shaping us and that his character can show through that. And so um, that, that, uh, the idea that we are God's workmanship is really important to me. And then this last year, you know, John fourteen twenty has been rocking my world. And that's where Jesus told his disciples something that I think they didn't even understand. He said, 
in that day you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And that's crazy. That's this incredible promise that we are connected right now intimately with Jesus. Jesus is right now in the presence of the Father, and that means we're there too right now. And that just, you know, when I have been struggling through some of the things I've been dealing with this last year, that has really been a reminder that God is with me in this one present moment. And in this one present moment, I'm not living in fear. I'm not living in worry or regret. This one present moment is where God is present to me. That's where I need to focus. Beautiful. You know, it reminds me, Mark, of also the passage that we are seated with Christ not will be seated. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. And man, if we could grasp what Jesus paid for, what he appropriated for us, I, it would change, I think, how we look at our lives, our problems, our circumstances, don't you think? I think so. Hmm. So good. Well, friends, I want you to chime into this conversation as Mark and I just delve into the, the power, the wisdom, and the importance of our emotions. What are some of your dominant emotions? And maybe you've got questions for Mark about those today. Not taking calls, but we are taking texts. You know the number, I think, by now, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. We've got a few copies of Mark's book to give away, and I'll get into that in just a bit. But about 15 years into your ministry, Mark, your life took this unexpected turn into kind of depression and burnout. And you say that that unfolded this process of recovery, and it shifted everything for you. Tell us about that time. Bring us back there. Sure. Well, I you know, was living the life of a young pastor, a new family, uh, young kids. Uh, recently had been invited to be the senior pastor of the church that I had been serving at for many years. And, uh, you know, I'd been involved in professional ministry for a long time and gotten lots of training and been to all the church growth conferences. And so I had this real clear picture of what a growing, healthy church needed to look like and what kinds of programs needed to happen and what a good leader looked like. And I was pedaling as hard as I could to do all of that. And what I didn't really understand at that point in my life is because of my story, because of trauma that had happened in my childhood, because of choices that I'd made, because of some of my wiring, um, I was living in a, a deep disconnect with my emotions. I wasn't processing grief from losses that I had faced. I wasn't dealing with uh, the discomfort, the deep, twisting, gut-wrenching discomfort of uh, confrontation very well. And I, I didn't understand. I didn't know this was happening. I didn't understand why it was happening. I was just trying hard to do my best and, and serve people. And I didn't know that part of my wiring was that I had this profoundly deep connection, a deeply rooted connection between my value and my performance. And so in that situation, the better I could perform as a pastor, the better I could help the church grow, the more we could get these programs on track, the more secure I felt in myself. And, and so then when we uh, began to have kids, of course, you know that that you know, totally upheaves all your life plans and, uh, and it impacts you in ways you never expected. So when we began to have our children, the fact that I was living at this high pace and that I was basically living on, on credit, uh, emotional credit and energy, uh, emotional energy credit, uh, I, I didn't handle it very well and started to go off the rails. And because I didn't have the tools to process what I was feeling, uh, I was mostly in denial uh, and avoidance. The only emotion that I really could identify was anger. 
And I wasn't supposed to feel angry. I, I was supposed to be a good Christian pastor, and good Christian pastors were supposed to be thoughtful and wise and not angry and reactive for sure. And so then when I felt angry and then felt bitter and frustrated, then I felt shame because what am I sinning? Am I, am I not, a, you know, I, I'm studying scripture, I'm praying and I'm trying hard to be the kind of man I think God wants me to be. And yet I still feel all of these things that feel so gross inside and I don't know how to handle them. And so then I was feeling a lot of shame. And of course, when you feel shame, shame sort of pushes you into this place of isolation and separation. And so then I started living kind of a upfront life that you would see if you were a church member and the backstage life where I was really feeling this dark heaviness. And because I didn't have any tools to process it, that ended up leading me into a place of depression. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was a wreck, you know, it had dire consequences for my marriage, for my relationship with my kids, for the ministry team that I served with. It was, it was not good. You know, Mark, knowing, you know, we're going to get into more of your story of what came up from that place. But all I feel as I listen to you is a profound sense of compassion because of the losses that you experienced as a child and some of the things you sorted through. And, uh, you know, I think it's only the soul who's not in touch with their own trauma that could look at somebody, especially even a leader, and have any form of judgment whatsoever because you even say this in the book, and I've read it other places as well, you know, that there are millions who will acknowledge and admit to episodes of depression in their life, but there are just as many people who wouldn't say, no, I'm not depressed. They'd say that. Yeah, I'm not depressed. But their lives are so stretched thin, their emotions are so worn thin, that they're just doing what they can to keep their head above water. They don't have joy. They don't have a bounce in their step. You know, they don't have uh, reserves. And I just want to say that out loud, friends, if you're listening, uh, because I admire you for being able to say, this is where I found myself. And you can sure see the, the cycle, the dreaded cycle the enemy wants you in. So you get into that shame cycle of, of isolation. Right. Get to that place now. So how did you hit rock bottom? And what was the enemy saying to you in that place, Mark? And what, how did God meet you there? Well, in that place of shame, you know, you, you get more and more uh, alienated from all of the helpful, useful things, right? So more and more alienated from my wife, Christina, more and more alienated from my leadership team at church, more and more alienated from close friends, and more and more alienated from God and from my own sense of relationship with myself. And and so I had all these stories about who I was supposed to be and how I was failing at that. And of course, because at that point, my sense of value was tied up in my performance, I wasn't performing very well. I was doing a bad job. And so now I'm feeling worthless. I'm feeling like a, a wreck falling apart. And, and I could see, uh, you know, the trajectory for all these things in my life that I loved. I could see the trajectory for my family, for my ministry, you know, for, you know, the work that I had spent my whole adult life doing. I could see all that heading off the cliff. And I didn't know what to do. You know, I've been one of those guys in my life that's very internal I process internally. I don't uh, have, you know, a big wide circle of friends that I share everything with. And I'm also the kind of guy that feels like, hey, I can solve the problem. I'll just work harder. I'll stay up a little bit later. I'll read some books. I'll watch some YouTube videos. I'll figure out how to solve the problem. But the problem is you can't uh, solve the problem of burnout by working harder, You can't solve the problem of depression by just trying real hard to be happy. Like that doesn't work at all. And so I didn't even have tools in my tool bag to to solve this. And so it really came down to uh, a couple of very gracious friends of mine 
who could see past um, the the sort of image that I was projecting, and they they could see past it because of their own brokenness, because of stuff they had worked through, and they could see that I wasn't being fully honest with myself and the people around me. And so, over some time, meeting with these two guys separately, um, I began to share what was going on for me. They created a space where I could feel comfortable talking about what was happening and not feel like a failure. And those conversations led to several things that were crucial. One of those friends was a trauma therapist, and he didn't uh, try to be my therapist. That's not a good dynamic between friends, but he created a safe space for me to share, and then he recommended me to a great therapist and gave me kind of the courage and motivation and even honestly at the beginning helped pay for it because it wasn't something that I was equipped to do. And so that was crucial, getting into a good therapist to begin having a safe place to talk about this. And then the other friend, uh, I write about this in The Wisdom of Your Heart, um, saw what I was going through and saw how I wasn't telling the truth to myself and the people around me and facilitated the opportunity for me to go to a small retreat for pastors experiencing burnout. And uh, that sounded like a terrible thing to me. It did not sound fun at all, but because I trusted this person and I knew that they had my best interests at heart, I decided to go. And what happened at that retreat was really a, a watershed moment for me spiritually and in understanding what was happening. And those two things, getting into therapy and getting into this retreat where I had a really significant sort of God connection moment about what was happening in my heart, those two things kind of opened up the floodgates and put me on a path of seeking healing, of really understanding that I needed healing and that the things I was trying to fix about my performance in the church, that, that those were not the problem. The problem was in my inner life. Well, that's going to pause here. It's so important. We're going to delve into the wisdom and the power of your God-given emotions. But friends, I'm asking you to chime in here. I want you to chime in. First of all, we've got a few copies of The Wisdom of Your Heart to get into your hands. You can either email middays at myfaithradio.com, put wisdom of your heart in the subject line, or you can text your address. You can get in the drawing either way. But friends who are texting, I'm asking you, chime in on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being flourishing, 1 being barely hanging on, 5 just getting by. Tell me how you're doing. I want to just take a poll to get a sense of where people are at today. And we'll pray for some of you. If you ask for prayer, we'll pray. So text in 877-933-2484. When we come back, we'll hear more of, of just how not only how God restored Mark's soul, but what we can learn about just tending to our soul and honoring our God-given emotions. More great conversation. Hey, don't leave me hanging here. I want you to chime in. 877-933-2484. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome to Middays. I'm Susie Larson talking to my friend Mark Alan Shelsky. 
about discovering the power of your God-given emotions, the God-given purpose and the power of your emotions. I'm taking a poll, and I really want you to engage, if you would. Uh, how would you, where would you rate your soul right now? Because one of the things Mark says in his book is that there are millions who admit to episodes of depression in their lives, but there are just as many who would never say that but are living in an underwhelmed sort of state where their emotions are spread thin. They're just getting by. And I just want to get a sense for where you're at right now in your journey. One being you're just barely hanging on. Ten, you're flourishing. Five, maybe just getting by. How would you just rate the condition of your soul? There's no shame or condemnation. Actually, I just really want to pray for you if we need to as well. Also, I'd love to get your name in the drawing if you'd like a copy of Mark's book. You can text in 877-933-2484 or email middays at MyFaithRadio.com. I really want to hear from you. Mark, before the break, you were talking about this place of, of massive burnout. Here you're a pastor. You love God. You love your family. But as you say, and this is so common for so many of us, but when there's a trauma or multiple traumas that have happened in our past that we've not fully sorted through, we push them down. They'll eventually get our attention another way. And oftentimes it's stress, exhaustion that bring them to the surface. Well, as you started to face what was going on in your own soul, you have a, a couple godly friends. One challenged you to go to a retreat, and another said, get to therapy. Take it from there as far as how God started to restore your soul. Well, for me, the therapy process was really a process of beginning to see the truth about my story. Um, we, we all build a narrative about our life, about who we are, right? We have these events that happen to us. Those are kind of the historical objective facts. But we put meaning onto those. We make up a story about what those experiences say about us. And over the course of our life, that narrative builds up, and we we live out of that story until we can acknowledge it. And so in therapy, uh, my therapist just very gently helped me walk through my story and see the things that had happened to me and the stories I made up about those things. And, And usually when we as little kids do this, the stories that we make up are not really that helpful. You know, little kids just assume that their life is how life works. And so when, you know, when a parent doesn't uh, do a great job, uh, the little kid makes up the story that the reason is because the kid is a failure in some way. Or when a child is abused, oftentimes the, ch- the child takes on the story that, that the child is the one who deserves that or in some way uh, is worthless because of it. And, and so I had, you know, those kinds of experiences where I had kind of taken on these stories, and the stories were things like, I am responsible. I am the only one who can solve this problem. If I don't solve this problem, people that I love are going to get hurt. If I don't solve this problem ahead of time, someone might even die, right? That was my experience. My dad died unexpectedly when I was 11 in an accident. And one of the stories that began to shape my life was, if only I had done these things, that would never have happened. And so over the course of my life, I became really good at planning and managing details and coordinating things so that nothing bad could happen, right? And that ended up generating leadership gifts in me, which is is wonderful. But I was carrying this burden that I'm the one that has to solve the problem, and if I don't, terrible things are going to happen, and so sitting down with my therapist, she was able to help me see the truth of this and, and to be able to look at this with adult eyes and recognize that, hey, that story I've been hearing, it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not who God made me to be. It's not the calling God's put on my life to be the rescuer for everyone and to bear the emotional burden of everyone's problems. That story isn't true. 
who are you really? Who is your who? What's your identity in Christ, and how are you going to live out of that? And that that you know, I had no idea how powerful this stuff is. I just had no idea. And so sitting down with someone who could gently walk me through it that was that was crucial. That and journaling and a lot of these close friends really listening to me lovingly and and helping guide me forward. Those things I I don't know where my life would be without them. Well, they often say, uh, I've heard this said several times, that you stuff emotions. and Your emotions were trying to tell you something. And if you believe the lie, that emotions will always lead you astray. And, you know, I've heard the analogy of you're stuffing things into a closet. You just keep stuffing more and more. Well, one day that closet will burst open and everything will come pouring out. And, and right. nobody, right. it's not about strength or weakness. It's the reality of those things aren't meant to be stuffed. And I imagine you just experienced, as you started to get built back up again, the father's compassion for you, you know, I mean, Mark, you lost your dad. I mean, if I remember right, he's a pastor. He was a busy yeah. pastor serving everybody else. And the one day he walks out of the house and says, goodbye, you never see him again. And I have submit to you, God gave you leadership gifts, but they were probably driven by fear because of your loss versus driven by right. love. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, that, that, these things that we carry, whether they're from trauma or just life experiences that we've misinterpreted, we carry them and they shape our reactions. And and that's why it's so crucial for us to learn how to listen to our emotions. You know, just like you said, those emotions, they are communicating important information. Now, if you if you have, a, you know, a kid that's learning to drive, um, I think your kids are older than mine, uh, you, you would you would counsel them seriously if you found out they'd been driving for a week and the check engine light had been on their dashboard for a week and they hadn't said anything about it. You would have some serious words with them, right? Right. But that's what we do with our emotions all the time. And our emotions are check engine lights. They are there to give us important information about our inner life and outer circumstances so that we can respond in adaptive, healthy, and growing ways. You know, so when I feel anger... You know, I had this story that anger was a sin, that if I was angry or expressing anger, that I was violating who I was supposed to be as a good Christian man. And so then I would feel anger, which is normal for humans. And then because I thought it was a sin, I would not express it. I would compress it down and try to hold on to it tightly. And what would happen is I would become cold and I would become hard and I would become snippy with the people around me and I would become sarcastic and if you asked me, Mark, are you angry? I, I was not able to say yes, because to say yes would mean, oh, I'm sinning, right? I would have to say something else. I would have to say, no, I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm just really frustrated about this circumstance, which is a complete smokescreen, you know, or no, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed, you know? Well, we use all these different words to avoid saying what's true. If you're feeling anger, your anger is telling you something, right? You have experienced what to you feels like a violation. And the response to feeling violated is anger. That is the natural dashboard light on the dashboard of your heart that says, hey, something has happened that feels like a violation to you or someone that you love. You should look around and see what's going on. Maybe you can stop it. Maybe That's, you can change the circumstance. Right? I need to jump That's in here, Mark. For. Sorry, Mark. We have a hard Go break for. right now. We're going to keep this conversation going. Text in. want to know how you're doing today. 877 2484. More great conversation with Mark Allen Shelsky. Back in a minute. 
often we need to repeat songs like that. Put them on repeat and listen again and again. You know what? He loves you so very much. And this is what the enemy wants is your emotions surface because maybe there's things in your past you've not dealt with. And then something in the present is reminiscent of the past and it gets way more emotion than it feels like it should. It often means there's some kind of trauma, some kind of hurt in your heart that God wants to heal. But if you don't know that, then the enemy comes in and condemns you. And as my guest today says, then the, then you go to shame and then you stuff it down deeper. And you know what? It's distressing to the soul. But Jesus came to restore your soul. We're talking about the importance of emotional health and even the importance of paying attention to your emotions because there's some information there. I'm asking for, I'm taking an inventory and I'm really asking you to chime in. I want to know what's the condition of your soul today or even in this season, 10 being flourishing, one being you're barely hanging on, five maybe just getting by. And you can stay anonymous. Also, if you want in on the drawing, you can either text in your address or email. So here's the email, middays at myfaithradio.com. Here's the number to text. And also, if you've got questions, let us know as well. But I want to know, what's the condition of your soul? 877-933-2484, Wow. And this dear listener says, what's the name of the app to download? You just go to your app store and search Faith Radio Network, and you'll find it there, and you can live, you can get the podcast any day. So, Mark, let's talk about this for a moment, because um, there's something to be said about not letting our emotions dictate our perspective. I would imagine that does show a, a, a measure of maturity, that if you're in a situation, I mean, people who are given to explosions all the time, well, one, of course, they need some healing, but two, there's got to be something said to a measure of self-control, but you say we've maybe taken that too far. So unpack that a bit more. Sure. I think that one of the problems for us is that we have conflated the emotion we have with the response that we act out. And so when someone is you know, throwing a temper tantrum uh, at the mall because someone didn't treat them well, we immediately go, oh, anger, right? That's bad anger. Do you see that? But what happened is the person felt angry, and then the person chose to express that anger. Those are two separate things. And emotional maturity lies between those two, where we learn what our emotions mean and how to feel them without being driven into a reaction. And now we have the freedom to use that emotional energy in a direction that is in alignment with who we want to be, with who God's calling us to be. You know, emotions just happen. They are what they are. They aren't the response. So here's an example. Um, This week, a church member uh, had an unexpected death in their family, and I was sitting with her, and she was just overwhelmed, and she was terrified about how she was going to handle all of the uh, arrangements and how she was going to talk to her young children and just The idea of dealing with this was just completely overwhelming her. And I said to her, I said, here's the thing. Grief is like standing on the beach and the waves will come in and wash over you and then the waves will go back out. That's the, that's the grief. Sometimes it's going to come in and you're going to feel sad and cry and then the waves go out. Sometimes it's going to come in and you're going to feel angry and you're going to want to smash your fist on the table and say, why did God let this happen? And then the waves will go back out. And sometimes the waves will come in and you'll have happy memories and then the waves will go back out. But that wave of grief, that's not you. That's not your heart. You're standing there and you get to choose what to do with that energy. And in the case of grief, what you need to do is you need to cry. You need to express your sadness. You need to write down the memories. You know, there's things you can do to express the grief. But the grief itself is not, is not you. The grief is just the emotion. Same with anger, same with anything else. 
You know, so when I feel that anger, which is the emotion I feel when I feel that me or someone I love is being violated, when I feel that anger, I don't have to immediately punch the wall, right? I can feel that anger and notice it and go, oh, I'm feeling really angry about something. What's going on in my environment where I feel violated or I feel like someone I love is being violated? Oh, there it is. That neighbor is yelling at my kids. I don't like the way they're talking to my children. Okay, so what am I going to do? Am I going to rush out and scream at them? Okay, that would be a reaction, but what could I do with that energy that would be more constructive? And that's the key for emotional maturity, and that's the key for how we hear God in this stuff, right? God is not in our knee-jerk reactions, but God is definitely speaking in those emotions and wanting to have that energy that is generated in us be used in life-giving ways. You know, uh, Steve Arterburn, a couple years ago when I interviewed him, I've, re- I've referenced this quote so many times, but he said, one of the great epidemics of the church today is unresolved grief, that we've all had a series. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that good? I've all had a series of yeah. losses, hurts, and disappointments, but we are too busy, church busy, to take time to sort through these losses. And I've asked counselors and doctors about this, and they've all said it absolutely true, and those things have to go somewhere. So often if you don't deal with them, they push out into your physiology. Well, I've also heard right. people say that grief is from the enemy, and I want to just yell. I'm like, no, because it, I think lament and grief are part of the healing process. And Tim just, uh, I, I could cry reading this. He says, that, uh, Susie, after my son passed away last November, at 27 years old with heart failure, I thought I was tough, thought I was over it, but I still have anger. I still feel empty. And he, as you said, he said, those feelings come in waves. And Tim I just pray God will protect you from people who try to put anything on you. And you hear what Mark is saying, that grief is part of the journey. And and Mark, I wonder if you want to say anything to Tim, because this is exactly what you were just addressing here. I think grief is the hardest of our emotions, because every emotion moves us to take an action, right? Anger moves us to stand up and oppose that violation. Uh, Joy moves us to stand up and celebrate. Every emotion has a corresponding action it wants us to take. Well, for grief, the action would be to get back the thing that we lost. And when we have someone die, we can't do that. Like that, that desire in us is not going to be fulfilled until eternity. And so that's why grief feels so powerless. We cannot act on the emotion in the way we want to. And you can't and so sprint through we, it either. Pardon me, but you can't sprint through grief. You can't. No, right? and this is, I think this is why grief takes so much time. I believe that grief is the process of emotionally rewriting the story in our heart about the future of our lives. Oh boy, say so that again. Had a, it, it, it's the process of emotionally rewriting the story in our heart about our lives with the person we lost. So before uh, Tim's son died, he had a picture of what his life looked like, having this person in his life. And then his son dies unexpectedly, and now what do you do with all those hopes and dreams? Where does that story go? And that emptiness, that ache is terrible. And so I think the reason grief takes so long is because we're having to face the reality of the loss. We're having to accept and integrate that loss into who we are, and we're having to think about our future differently now. Like, my future doesn't contain this person in this life. What does that look like? How does that change my hopes and dreams? And that process, it takes a while. Like, like really, it takes a year, minimally. You know, like until you get to those first uh, anniversaries, the first Christmas without the person that you lost, the first, you know, those days, 
Until you get past that, you're not really moving forward in the way that allows you to have a healthy, productive future life. And that's not a problem. That's not a weakness. That's how grief works. Grief takes time. And even sometimes it washes back in on you. I mean, my dad died when I was 11, and that is decades ago. And there are still times when I'll be sitting down and I'll have a memory or a recollection kind of wash over me. And in that moment, I feel that ache. It's not like it used to be, but I feel that emptiness, you know, and that's just, that's how it is. And so for you to feel grief and sadness for months or weeks, that's normal. That's fine. It is how God designed you. Wow. You know, another uh, myth that you address is the idea that emotions are always shallow and transitory. And you really are making the case that they're really of something very, very deep within us. And friends, I'm asking you to chime into this conversation. Where would you say your soul is at right now? Are you in a place of flourishing? And I want to know and celebrate with you. But many are at a one, you know, on a scale of one to 10, barely hanging on. Others are just getting by, let's say a five. Chime in to the conversation, 877-933-933. 2484. So address this just in case anybody has any question yet still. If there's a belief in their hearts that emotions are always shallow and transitory, that's a dangerous belief. Explain why that is. Well, it it misunderstands what emotions are, right? Emotions are these messages that come from our deepest places. And so even though sometimes they change quickly, that doesn't make them shallow or transitory. They are like the dashboard, like the warning light on the dashboard of your car. They are wired in deeply to who we are. And so when they come up, they mean something. The happy emotions, good emotions mean something, sad and difficult emotions mean something, and that's always the case. And every time we pass them by without paying attention, we lose something. Um, at best, we lose the opportunity of being present in this moment. And at worst, we lose the opportunity to really hear God speaking to us. And I think that's one of the reasons why pursuing emotional wholeness is so crucial for people of faith. We believe that God exists. We believe the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. We talk about that all the time. We talk about wanting to feel the Holy Spirit more. Well, if you are in disconnection from your emotions, you're not going to have an easy time hearing the Spirit. Because the Spirit speaks in our deep inner places, and emotions are the language of our heart. And so learning how to understand our emotions and hear them, that is how we open ourselves up to be more attentive to God speaking to us in the moment. You know, I'm wondering, Mark, thinking this out loud, maybe it's just plain obvious, but if you're someone who just refuses because you cannot face the emotional upheaval under the surface, and maybe you're really a good striver, so you stuff them down, and there's a total disconnect, and I think uh, that would be a disconnect in the brain as well. It would make you, if you're a Christian, I would think it would turn you into a Pharisee because you would no longer have compassion for those uh, who maybe have emotions that are surfacing and messy, and they don't know what to do with them because you'd, you'd be thinking, buck up, buttercup. But I would imagine once you go through the, the connection, uh, a humbling work happens, right? And uh, a healing work happens, and suddenly you find yourself with compassion for others. What, what do you think about that? I think you're exactly right. Uh, if, we, if we do not have the, the, the opportunity, the space to hear our emotions, then we can't really relate to how other people feel. And compassion is precisely the emotion of feeling how other people feel. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. And so if I'm not able to connect with how other people feel, how will I feel compassion for them? And, and truth be told, I talk about this in the wisdom of your heart. Compassion is the heart of what agape is, 
right? When, when we use that, that famous Bible verse, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that is talking about God seeing the hurt in his creation and wanting to act on behalf of the good of his creation. That's describing compassion. That's what that is. And so then God acts on uh, acts out that energy, that emotion of compassion by sending Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't come in as a spreadsheet of answers. Jesus doesn't come in as this golden statue of perfect deity. Jesus comes in as a human to be with us and, and to actually relate to us in ways that we can understand. That's living out compassion. So even uh, the uh, incarnation, this giant theological concept, is talking about God entering into and embodying compassion. And so that's really the core of our work in the world, is to learn how to have compassion for the people around us and to act on that compassion in godly ways. And so if I'm disconnected from that, no amount of good theology in my brain is going to allow me to really do the work of being like Jesus in the world. Wow. And being like Jesus, that's the, that's the point, because Jesus entered into a suffering that was not his own. Jesus had empathy and compassion. Jesus cried, you know, wept and, you know, and wept for a city, wept for a friend. We can't be right. like him by staying disconnected. We need to pause here. When we come back, we'll answer the question, can you mature spiritually by being discon- while being disconnected emotionally? I think you probably know the answer, but we'll unpack that a bit more. Also, this listener writes in, what does Mark think about antidepressants? I have some, but I still have lost joy in the things that I used to have joy in, even relationships. We'll touch on that when we come back as well. The title of Mark's book is The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. We've got a few copies to to give away, you can enter the drawing two ways. One, text 877-933-2484, but we need your mailing address so we can mail that book, or email middays at myfaithradio.com. We'll be back in a minute. for tuning in today, having a fantastic conversation with Mark Allen Shelsky. His book is titled The Wisdom of Your Heart, Discovering the God-Given Purpose and Power of Your Emotions. And hey, if you just turned in just now, you want to go back and catch the podcast once the live show is over. This has been a rich conversation. Here's my question now, and I want to hear what you have to say. Can we mature spiritually while remaining disconnected from our own emotions? Emotionally, what do you say? Well, I don't ever want to say something that would limit whatever God wants to do in someone's life. But my suspicion is that if we will not attend to our emotional maturity, our spiritual maturity will be limited. Amen. (laughs) You know, in fact, here's a a listener. She says, wondering what further depth of healing could come for a relative who's been abused and said they had counseling but still struggles with a lot of reactionary anger. Another who's more prone to depression. A neighbor who seems to love her kids but swears at them. I think we could all use some better thinking and choices of direction. (laughs) A thought of mine, too, Mark, is, you know, I'm praying that God will raise up more godly Christian therapists because, you know, I don't know, when you have therapists who can really lead you into the presence of God and are they're licensed counselors, but they all understand, also understand the healing power of God and help you untangle your story at its core. It is amazing what some people have recovered from because of some good Christian therapy, you know? Yeah, it's really true. It really is a huge need. Hey, you had, uh, just before the break, you had said someone had asked about antidepressants. 
Um, Can I speak briefly to that? So I I know this is a big issue in a lot of Christian circles, that the idea that you might take antidepressants would be a a signal, a lack of faith, or in some way would be a problem. Okay, here, I want to just clear the air on that. Uh, I wear glasses because my eyes don't function in quite the right way that they should for me to optimally use them. For the last uh, four weeks, I've worn an ankle brace because I broke my ankle about uh, three months ago, and in the healing process, my ankle has needed additional strength so that it can heal. That is what antidepressants are. Don't let people shame you over using them. If you are in a place where your doctors have evaluated you and determined that this would be helpful for you, then just like glasses or an ankle brace, it may be what you need to be able to get to the place where you can rewrite the story in your heart. Uh, That's just the bottom line. And if I could just add to that, you know, about 25 years ago, I walked through a mild depression and was on an antidepressant for a year. And I went to counseling every week to sort through the losses. And one thing the counselor and doctors have said, and I've got a number of friends who are doctors and counselors in the present and all would agree. And I'm curious what you think about this. And again, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on radio. (laughs) But anyway, all would agree that that antidepressants are overused these days, that there are places and times and seasons where, as Mark said, to walk through something so you can sort through something is so important. But what even doctors said back then, and doctors will say now, if you use it as a silver bullet to numb out and to not ever deal with what brought you to this place, you know what I'm saying? Because those meds will have a numbing effect. If you're not dealing with what's beneath the surface, it is meant to be like your ankle brace. Okay, now let's put a little bit of weight on it, but you've got some support. How, how did this happen? What muscles do we need to strengthen? And as I walked through that counseling once a week, the counselor and the doctor said, if I wish, I wish more patients would go after their healing. This is just one aspect yeah. of your healing process. And I've heard from people, Mark, who said, I was on five different meds. I couldn't feel anything anymore. I couldn't enter into yeah. relationships. And it wasn't until I started to dig into what was going on in the soul that I could get off of some of these meds. So just a little caveat there. Yep. What do you think? No, I think that's absolutely the case. It's, a, it's one of the tools that's available to help us kind of get the chemistry back on track so that you can do what you're designed to do. And, and that is what we've been talking about this whole hour is take the moment, take the time to look at your inner life and process it. Don't be afraid of the discomfort. It means something. Uh, learn from it, and then you can grow. Like that's, that's the thing that allows us to mature spiritually. Right? God is speaking to us. God is in the present moment with us. But if we're in denial because we don't like that feeling of conflict in our gut when we're having a fight with our spouse and we push away from it and numb ourselves, then we can't hear God talking to us about that relationship. And so it's, it's crucial for us to be able to learn to sit, to be okay with our emotions being what they are, to listen so that we can then make Uh, choices about how we're going to use that emotional energy in constructive ways that bring light and healing and good things into the world around us. Boy, so good. Talking to Mark Allen Shelsky. Talk about, if you would, um, first of all, I got a question here. I've never been to a counselor. How do you find a good one? And should it be a Christian counselor? My personal opinion absolutely should be a Christian counselor. I will say we've got a list of recommended Christian counselors from around the upper Midwest. Why don't you, friend, email middays at myfaithradio.com Put Christian counselor question mark in your subject line, and we will mail you that document so you can see just Christian counselors that maybe we know of that we could um, encourage you in that regard. Um, let me see if I've got one more text coming in. It says, Susie, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Thoughts for my spouse who's emotionally unavailable and struggling to be compassionate, understanding about my triggers. Um, what would you say to that dear person? 
Well, first, just acknowledge that that's a significant trauma that impacts you in your inner life in so many ways, and it's really crucial to look at it. Um, uh, I would recommend that you pick up uh, the book Not Marked by Mary DeMuth. Um, She was uh, brutally sexually uh, abused as a child, and that book talks about her healing journey, and I think you'll find it very helpful. Um, This is not something you can ignore. As painful as it is to face, it's something that has to be attended to. Uh, And so... That's 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 the advice. It, it, you, yeah. you can't you can't leave it in the past. You can't hide it. It's going to it's going to create um, uh, chaos in every relationship that you have. It's going to shape the way you view God. It's going to shape your ability to trust people. It's really important that you that you attend to it. And I will say, you know, waiting for your spouse to have compassion and understanding for you to get whole and healed. It will um, prolong your healing process. I love what Mark is saying. Go yeah. after it. Go after your healing. Pray for your husband that God would, you know, break his heart for what breaks God's heart. But in the meantime, go after your healing. We just got a couple yeah. of minutes left before it's time to pray. In the book, you ask a question. I love this one. I put a smile on my face. You ask, can you picture Jesus jumping for joy? And I want you to explain why that's such an important question. Because I love to say we follow a smiling Savior. You know, we do. And we need to picture Jesus that way. Say more if you would. Well, I think most of us that have grown up in evangelical Christianity grew up with the idea that our mission in life is to become more and more like Jesus. And if that's true, then the picture we have in our mind of Jesus is really important. And if you have a hard time imagining Jesus feeling sadness or frustration or happiness or joy, if you have a hard time picturing that, then how are you going to picture becoming more like Jesus with emotions as a healthy part of your life? Jesus was an emotional person. Um, That's something that you can look at in my book. I talk about that extensively. And when I say emotional person, that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. That was him living into the fullness of the human part of his creation. And so being able to picture Jesus as emotional has been a really helpful tool in me being able to feel safe and comfortable experiencing my own emotions. I mean, picture this, friends. I mean, if you picture him constantly somber, kind of almost like flatlined emotionally, how will you enter in? But if you picture Jesus, you running into him on the beach, and he's got that smile that goes up to his eyes, like his eyes wrinkle, he's smiling so big, and he's like, hey! Yeah, yeah. And he grabs your shoulder. So oh, good to see you. I mean, I want you to imagine Jesus that way because, and I picture him, Mark, around the bonfire with the disciples, belly laughing at times because we didn't invent right. humor, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, after you've done the hard work, and let me say, it is hard work. I've done it as well of that soul work where you find some healing. Um, what would you say you know about God now that you didn't know back then? Well, I had, I mean, I, I was a head guy from the beginning. I'd done lots of Bible study and theology work and all of that for many, many years. And so I've had all of that part of my backpack plenty full. What's been new for me is actually having what honestly feels like an intimate connection with God. And that's, how could I have had an intimate connection with God before if I was completely disconnected with my emotions? I mean, now looking back, it's absurd. But that's been the new thing for me is actually having a sense of God's presence, an emotive sense of connection, and even at times really feeling like God is speaking to me in these deep inner places. That's been completely new. And do you catch yourself keeping these um, things that surface for you on a shorter leash? I mean, are you more diligent to go after them now to go, okay, what's that telling me? Yeah, I, I can tell sometimes when it's coming and deal with it. 
And sometimes I miss, but then I know what to do immediately after. You know, I do that all the time with my kids. Oh, Lucas, I really blew it in that interaction. I was reactive and I shouldn't have been. Uh, Here's what I think I heard you saying. Can we talk about that again? You know, I have to do that a lot, but I also do it a lot faster than I used Mm -hmm. to uh, because I don't feel shame around it. That's amazing. Well, we got to pray here now. We get to pray now. Would you pray for that person listening today for whom this is brand new information? I mean, one dear listener said, this interview has opened my eyes. Would you pray for uh, that person who's just now awakening to what God has for them? Sure thing. Absolutely. Uh, Father, you created these incredibly complex systems that are our bodies, electrical wiring and chemicals and brains and hearts and everything. And the emotions that that are within us are a part of that good creation. And so I pray that you will help each of us be able to release any shame or fear we have around our emotions, that you will give us courage to be able to reach into those places and learn what they mean so that we can grow in wisdom just like Jesus did uh, and learn to live in this life in a more compassionate way. Amen. Mark, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for giving us your time today. Sure thing. Absolutely. My pleasure. Always good to chat with you. Mark Allen Shelsky, everyone. Title of his book, The Wisdom of Your Heart. Email or text if you want to get in on the drawing. Hope you found some encouragement here today and able to just walk forward with a holy confidence knowing God's going to be with you every step of the way and it is impossible for him to fail you. Tune in tomorrow for Middays. I'll talk with Shane Pruitt about his book, Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe. Have a really blessed day and we'll meet you back here next time. Thanks for listening to this Middays with Susie Larson podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of the show, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link to spread the good news of the gospel and to grow the impact of Middays with Susie Larson.